I was talking to a friend of mine this week, and he was making fun of me. We were talking. He's um, he's a pastor. Now he's in Pennsylvania. And uh, I was talking about my sermon with him. He was telling me about what he's been preaching his first two Sundays at church. And when I talked about my sermon title of 2020 Vision, he said, I thought you weren't going to be that cliche, and he was making fun of me. Um, but I talked about how the reality is every church in America, just about this is where we're starting this year. Um, but God has taken us kind of on an interesting perspective into this 2020 vision. Um, last week, I, I, I kind of shared my story of, of but God. You know, I knew I was preaching 2020 vision, but then God wanted us to look backwards. And this week, again, I knew what I was preaching. But God, again, I mean, Friday morning, you can do this sooner, God. Like, I, I'd, I'd much rather... Monday afternoon and Friday morning, about two-thirds of the way through my sermon, God starts talking to me. And maybe it's my fault. I'm going to just say that. I, I can't blame God. Maybe it was my fault. But, but the reality was about two-thirds, at least halfway through my sermon, I hear God start nudging me about, well, you know, you preached about looking backwards. Well, you've got to preach about looking forward. And, you know, I don't know about you, but have you ever argued with God? God... I mean, looking forward, that's about the most natural thing in the world. We were made with eyes in the front of our head, not in the back of our head. So why do I really have to to preach about looking ahead? I mean, people get that. It's understandable. And, and God kept stirring in me. And, you know, my, my roommate in college who I was just talking about, the guy who's a pastor in Pennsylvania, uh, literally at his wedding he introduced me as Mr. Wright. Not because I was Mr. Right for everyone, but because I was always right and we lived together. I mean, I was very persuasive. My wife probably knows that I like to argue sometimes, and I can make good points. And I mean, I was there with God, and I was making really good points, but I said, God always wins his arguments with me. And so he started pointing me at the Israelites, and okay, well, we can talk about that. And he he pointed me to a sermon that I preached 10 years ago, and I said, okay, God, you win. So this morning, uh, I, I want to continue to look at the Israelites. And I'm talking about vision. Recall, I'm talking about our vision. Last week, it was imperative that we made sure to look back. We, we, we shared the story of Joshua and how he was leading God's people into the promised land. Remember, and, and the Jordan River was at flood stage. And, and so the, the priests carried the ark into the river and the, the waters went back and, and Joseph... Uh, Joshua told a leader from every tribe to pick up a stone, and they stacked those stones so that, that they would remember and their kids and grandkids would remember what God had done in that moment. I mean, it was this idea of Joshua was leading them to the promised land, but God called, told him to just stop and, and, and take this moment so you won't forget what God has done. Powerful stuff. And so we looked at that last week, and I thought, now we can start you know, running ahead with the vision and, and some of the stuff that I feel like God's speaking to my heart and so I started working on my sermon, and God said no. And the reality was he challenged me with the Israelites again. You know, he said the Israelites, and here's what I hope we learn today. The Israelites will teach us that we don't lose sight of what God can do because you're stuck looking back at what has happened. So many times in life, we talked about hindsight being 20-20. We can look back and, and we can see what God's, God's done. But, but the reality of vision, it's not just looking forward, it's not just looking backwards, but it's this fullness of vision. And there's a time to look back, but there's a time to look forward. And, 
And, and sometimes we get stuck either looking forward. Last week the sermon was, you know, some people we preach vision so well, there's so much vision that we don't have any time to see what God is doing. Where there's some people who, who are heads, and we're going to look at a people this morning who, who their eyes are, are so much on where they were that they cannot comprehend where they're going. The Israelites. They didn't start with Joshua. You know, their, 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 the story of, of their, their journey to the promised land started with a man named Moses. Recall they'd been in slavery for something like 430 years. And God began to speak to a man. And, and his name was Moses and his words in Exodus uh, chapter 3. This is what's going on when Moses is called. There's this bush that catches on fire, but it's not burning. It was a pretty profound moment. The Lord said, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. Now, I want you to look at where they are. Now, they're in a miserable place, right? Is there any doubt that where they're at is a miserable place? If God can say, I have seen the misery of my people. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. What was the place where they were? It was a place of misery. It was a place of suffering. It was a place of oppression, right? The slave drivers and their suffering. I mean, this is, this is where they are. So I have come down, this is God, to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of that. To do what? What was God's purpose? What was Joshua leading God's people for now that we talked about last week? To bring them up out of that. This is where you are. I want to pick you up and I want to take you somewhere else. This is the vision. I have come to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians and bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land. A land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people the Israelites, out of Egypt. God is stirring in Moses. This is how Joshua got to the point of the river that was flooded. God saw the misery his people were in 430 years in slavery in Egypt. God speaks to, to Moses, who was, who was his chosen servant, to lead his people out. And he says, I see where the people are. I see the state of their life. I want to bring them up out of this land. And what does he want to do? He wants to bring them to a land that is spacious, a land that is good. I see the slave drivers. I recognize your misery. I understand your suffering. I've heard your cries is what God is saying. My desire is to take you somewhere. So, Moses obeys God. He goes to Pharaoh. Pharaoh doesn't let him leave. So all these plagues, you read about the plagues in Scripture, you know, flies and gnats and frogs and livestock are dying and it's dark and all these things are happening. The firstborn son and God then allows Pharaoh to say, get out so the people go while the Israelites are, are, are going and the Egyptians follow. Recall, they come to the Red Sea. There's a pillar of, uh, of, of fire by 
by, by night and the cloud of fire by day. We talked a little bit about it in Sunday school. I mean, all these absolutely remarkable things that God is doing. I don't know if you're like me. Sometimes I read the, the Old Testament and I'm like, boy, if I saw God that way, I would never forget anything. I don't know if you're like me. You're bold and arrogant like myself. You say, boy, if I saw the Red Sea part, I would never doubt God. Or if I saw a pill, pillar of fire or a cloud of smoke that was leading me somewhere, I mean, it'd be really easy to follow God. I don't know if you ever make those kind of statements, but... But that's where my brain goes as I read this story. I mean, the Red Sea parts, they come to the Red Sea, it parts, they, they go through the Red Sea, the Egyptians are pursuing them. What happens? The Red Sea then consumes the Egyptian armies, the chariots or whatever, and, and God has brought his people out of slavery. It says in Scripture they get thirsty, right? They start to grumble, and what does, God, what, what does Moses do? God tells Moses to do what? To strike the rock, and there's water for him, so now he's met their need with that. But I want to tell you about a people who can't let go of where they've been. I mean, it's easy for us to look at them and see, like, the miraculous things, the plagues that, that God sent to set them free, the, the, the Red Sea parting, water coming from, from a rock, and, and, and God meeting their needs, and then seeing them, the, God part a Red Sea, all these things that God has done. But I said it's, there's a problem when we can't forget where we've been. We're all still shaking our heads. That's good. Exodus chapter 16. It says, The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they'd come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Now this is, it says, in the second month after they've come out of Egypt, two and a half months. That's not that far, right? I mean, that's not that long since they've watched God do some pretty miraculous things. In the the 15th day of the second month after they come out of Egypt, the Israelites said, if only we had died by the Lord's hands in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food that we wanted. But you've brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Now, now who's saying this? Are not these the same ones that were miserable and suffering? Are not these the same ones who were crying out to God about where they were? Yet now they're crying out to God to go back? Don't argue with God. God said, I'll be with you. This is in verse 12. I've heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I'm God. I'm the Lord your God. And what happens in the story? Birds come in, and they eat all this meat. They wake up in the morning and there's this stuff on the grass. It says formed from the dew on the grass. They gather it. It's called manna. It tastes like honey. And coriander, I think, is the the description in Scripture. God's met their need once again. Even though they were struggling, looking backwards, God says to them, I got you. 
I gave you some, 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 some water from the rock. I'll give you some food. And he, he blows in the quail and he gives them manna. And that manna is there every day in their wandering. Where you were is not where God is taking you. Where you were is not all that God ever has for you. Yet so often we struggle. And it's the reality of life. It's the reality. You know, as you read the Israelites, as you read about this story, what often happens is that we see the the people begin to grumble or complain. Because the circumstance where they're at doesn't mean the expectation of where we're going. So we might as well just go back to what we know. In my notes, I have sometimes we are so uncomfortable where we are and so unsure of where we are going that we can't see anything but where we have been. We are so uncomfortable, and when we're uncomfortable, we just want something that we know, and so we try to run back to where we've been, even if where we've been was not a good place. We want to go back there because we know it. Why do we we have trouble looking back all the time? Life in the rearview mirror. You know, we, we fast forward through the story of the Israelites. I'm going through this a little bit quick, but it's just the reality. I want you to see all that, that they've done and all that they experience. And, and guess what? People get hungry again. I think if you go to the next slide, I've got the wrong verse at the top of that slide. It should be Numbers. Let's go to Numbers chapter 11. Skip that one completely, please. The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. Now, we're fast-forwarding through some big things. I, I, I jumped. This is, this is now in Numbers. God has now given Moses the Ten Commandments. Remember, he came down. He was the glory shined on him. They built this calf, and they worshipped this calf, and then God put a plague upon them, and, and many men died. They tied swords to each other, and they killed each other. I mean, all these crazy things are happening, but they're still on their way to the promised land. Read Exodus and Numbers. Um, it, it, it's some really interesting stuff. But the rabble with them began to crave other food. They had plenty to eat. God was giving them manna every day. There was enough for them. He'd produced water for them. They had enough meat. They had enough to eat. The rebel with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. I mean, isn't that how it works? They said it was at no cost to them. Why was it at no cost to them in Egypt? It cost them everything. They were slaves. It cost them their whole livelihood. But isn't that what happens when we can't look beyond our past as our past starts to conform to what we want it to be? And suddenly these people are so confused. 
It didn't cost us anything. We had fish. They were yummy fish. And melons and leeks and garlic. Oh, it was so wonderful. It didn't matter that they had like three minutes to eat before the whip was going to strike their back so they could do what their master said. But now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. How quickly How quickly Now there's an enemy who seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. He's the author of confusion, and that's absolutely what he's done in their lives. He's begun to tell these people a story that was not a true story. Have you ever talked to someone about an event you both witnessed and your recollection, their recollection was completely different? And you're wondering where they came up with the situation that they're talking about because that was not the events that you knew. I mean, I'm looking at the Israelites right here and I'm wondering, how in the world can you say this? You were crying out to God for 430 years for him to set you free from Egypt because they were a ruthless, cruel people. He knew your suffering and he saw your misery. Yet now you're saying to the one who has set you free, let us go back. Because what you're giving me isn't good enough, and I liked what I had. I mean, at least there it was free. Do you see the author of confusion in their lives? I will tell you, the enemy wants to keep you where, he were, where you were because he doesn't want you to go where God desires you to be. The enemy might even rewrite the story of where you were so you'll look back and long for that more than you'll you'll long for the uncertainty of where he's taking you today. So what did God do? I mean, God shows himself right now. I don't know that I have this verse on there where it says that, that he brings a wind from the sea and blows in quail. They want meat. He gives them meat. He blows in quail, it says, as far as they could walk for a day. Three foot high, everywhere they could see. Now, Walt went hunting, and he said he shot a couple birds. Now, I don't know how you would feel about that, Walt, but three foot high. You were thinking about that. You were claiming that promise yesterday. Three foot high, it says, as far as they could walk in any direction in one day. That's how much meat God gave them. You want to be there? I'll give you meat. So they got it, right? They understood, right? They're still on their way. Moses is leading them, and they come to the place that God has called them. God brought them out of Egypt. He promised them, what did he say? A spacious land. He told them who lived there. It was going to be a land flowing with milk and honey. That was what he promised at the burning bush. So we've, en- we've endured and we're here. We've journeyed to this place. So what does Moses do? In his leadership, he sends out some spies. We've traveled together. We've been in the wilderness. We've watched God produce water from a rock. We went through the Red Sea. He says that, 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 that he brought us ma- quail and manna. I mean, all these things. And now we're, we're here. We, we're on the threshold of where God has called us to be. We're like knocking on a door. Like we're like steps away. 
from where God has called us to be. And so let's just send some spies out, and they can look at where we're going, so they can come back and tell us how good it is. And so that's what they do, right? They send spies out. And in Numbers 13, it says they gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's its fruit. We've confirmed, Moses, everything you promised. It is absolutely a land flowing with milk and honey. Then there's this doggone word in verse 28. But. Our eyes have seen the very promises of God. Our eyes have seen the words that he spoke to Moses fulfilled. The words that he spoke through that burning bush to Moses fulfilled. But then they say, but, but the people who live there are powerful. The cities are fortified. They're very large. We even just saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the the Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. The descendants of Anak, they're giants there is what they're saying. We saw a land flowing with milk and honey. We saw the fruit that you were talking about, but. But. All of a sudden with the word but, they've forgotten everything God has done to get them to that point. Because now there's something that makes them uncomfortable. Now there's something that's standing in their way. And rather than trusting what God could do, they're going to they're gonna run back to where they were. Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. That night, Numbers chapter 14, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we died in Egypt. Or even in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to do what? To go back. There's a wall on that word, but. All they see is the the fear. All they see are the obstacles. All they're seeing are the giants. All they're, they're doing is writing a story that's not been written. Had they not experienced a God that can set them free from a mighty enemy? Did he not deliver them from the greatest enemy they'd known, the one who kept them in captivity for 430 years? But these people are big and they're mean and they're nasty. Did God not set the, 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 the Red Sea apart so you could walk through it to consume your enemies? Did he not send plagues to deliver you from that? But now, God, it's scary. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back 
to Egypt. They're going to go back where they were hungry. They're going to go back where there was no water. They're going to have to go back across that sea again. When they're standing at the doorstep to the promised land. Why? Why? Because they can't let go of where they've been. Joshua, when he led the people into the, into the promised land, do you know who they were? They weren't the ones who'd been in Egypt. God caused them to wander for 40 years because those who, who they could not let go of where they had been, they all died before they went into the promised land. Caleb got to go. They all died because they could not let go. They could not lose sight of where they had been. And they could not go in to the land that God had promised them. It's such a tragedy when you think about that. When you think about what they endured and what they went through and their steps of faith to get there, even though it took God giving them three feet of quail. Yet it happens all the time. God starts to promise us something. We hear his voice and he moves things so we can get there. And we start to walk down that road, but things start to get just a little bit uncomfortable. And as soon as things start to get uncomfortable, where we were becomes something that wasn't so bad. And rather than pressing on and trusting that if God can set me free, if God can bring me to where I am in this moment, He can take me to where I need to go. All we do is keep looking back. You know, last week... um Someone asked me to drive a truck for them back to their place, and so I, I met him and I drove a truck. And it kind of mirrored the sermon from Sunday morning because both of the um, the mirrors were broke on, the, on you know the rearview mirrors on the outside, and, and the one in the middle um, there was a big box behind me, so I couldn't see it. So I had no way to look back when I was driving, and I can tell you I was miserable driving where I didn't know what was going on behind me. That was last week's sermon, but vision. Now, now let's put that perspective differently. Let's say they asked me to drive their truck for them, but I had to drive it home while only looking in the rearview mirror. Now, I, maybe you guys are better than me. I'm not getting very far if I'm only looking in the rearview mirror while I'm driving my car. Do you know what I'm saying? There's, there's a balance. There's the, there's the reality of vision that, yes, we have to have those moments where we can look back. We have to have those moments where we can take a glance and see what God has done and cast that into our memory that, yes, God did that. But just because we look back and we saw that God did that doesn't mean we stay there.
I'm going to read this. I was going to wait till later, but I'm going to read it now. This is not a slide, so please don't try and find it. Joshua, before he led the people across the river, he said to them, Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. I want to tell you guys that God is still absolutely doing amazing things among you. I want to tell you that God has a plan and he's got a place that he's leading your life. I want to assure you this day that God has, has spoken that he's taking you to, to, a, to a good place. How do I know that? Because you're alive and you're a child of God. Because you've accepted the promise of Jesus Christ and the inheritance of his kingdom. That God absolutely is taking you somewhere good. Start looking forward. There may be giants there. It may not be very comfortable on the way. You might get hungry. You might get thirsty. You might get tired of the provision that he's given you. But God is absolutely taking you somewhere. And I will tell you, if I'm Moses and and I'm hearing the people cry for we should choose a leader to go back to Egypt, and I recognize the reality that we're at the fulfillment of God's promise, that this is what God called me to do. This is the point that God led me to. And I'm leading people to the fulfillment of God's promise, yet they become intimidated and scared and paralyzed by their past, that they want to run back to where they've been, I'm going to be broken as a leader. I will tell you, I believe that God is calling you to a place. And the last thing I want to see for anyone in this room is that we would run back when we're on the verge of experiencing the fulfillment of what God has promised because we can't let go of where we have been. Sometimes we need the blessing to forget. Joseph, you know his story. You know he was sold by his brothers into slavery. All these things that happened in his life. Family turned their back on him. He comes out of that and he has a son. And the first son he has, he names him Manasseh. Do you know why it says in Scripture that he named his first son Manasseh? Because God has caused me to forget That's absolutely what the Word of God says in the book of Genesis. I think it's in chapter 41, verse 51, if you want to look at it. Joseph, in the midst of all that God had led him through, he had had been somewhere of prosperity. It was good. I mean, his dad, I mean, it was good until his brothers. Then it was bad. It was really bad. And he could have been defined by all that was. He could have been defined by his rejection. He could have been defined by his faults and his arrogance. But he said, God has made me to forget. Philippians chapter 3. Not that I've already obtained all this or have arrived at my goal, but I press on. 
I press on. How do you press on if there's not resistance? Have you ever tried to push where there wasn't resistance? You know that whole game where you hold your hands up against your brother and you're playing a game and you try and knock each other off their balance and you're pushing at each other and you know you're you're always I'm always that guy that likes to pull my hand away because then they fall they lose their balance because there's no resistance. I'm not a jerk. I'm smart. How can Paul say he presses on if there's no resistance to where he's going? You know, before this, in, in this chapter in Philippians, he's listed all of his qualifications. He's listed all the things that God has, God has done in him. He's, he said who he is, but he says, not that I've already obtained all this or I've arrived at my goal, but I press on. You see, there's somewhere else to go. There's some other obstacle to push through. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Can you imagine a race car driver racing a race in his rearview mirror? It's not going to turn out very well. He's going to lose his endorsements. And he's going to get a job in the pits. Paul says, you know, this is where I've been. And this is all that I've been through. But I, I haven't obtained it yet. I press on. I push through. I continue on. Because I know that God has a prize for me. Heavenward in Christ Jesus. And I'm not going to be content until I take hold of that. It doesn't matter what stands in my way on my way to that. It doesn't matter where I've been and all the things that God's done through me. I forget that. But I press on to take hold of that which God has done. You see, it's not just the bad things that we hold on to, but sometimes it's the good things. Here's some deep theology. I call it the Al Bundy syndrome. Did anybody ever watch Married with Children? I know it was a bad show, so whatever. But he was some mid-50s, mid-60s fat guy who all he ever did was lived in his high school days when he won the state championship in football. Didn't matter that he couldn't get up off the couch today, but, but that's where he lived is when I won the state championship in football. Well, I tell you what, a lot of times we can't let go of what God has done, and we expect him to do the same things that he's always done. Now, the interesting thing, did Joshua tell them to stop and remember? Yes. Did Joshua build a pillar of stone so they would remember that God parted the Red Sea so they could walk through it? Absolutely. But how many times did God part the Red Sea after that? Maybe twice. Elijah and Elisha. He throws his cloak and waters are parted. But every time does God part the waters. You know, I thought of the disciples on the boat. Remember the story? They'd, they'd been preaching. They went out of the boat. Jesus said, I'm just going to go rest. And they're out on the boat. And it says the wind is buffeting the boat. And they see this guy walking across the water. And they say he must be a ghost. I mean, I can just see him saying, well, that can't be God because he didn't part the waters. It doesn't matter the dude's walking on the water. It can't be God. He didn't part the water. I mean, how many times do we miss what God is doing because we expect God to do it the way he's always done it? How many times do we limit God to the past even though he's the unlimited God of the future? 
And so because I don't feel like I felt when I first got saved or because things aren't happening the way they happened when I first was, I want to run back and stay in that moment of where I was. That moment was just the beginning. That moment was just the start of what God desired to accomplish in your life. If the Israelites stayed by the Red Sea or the Jordan River, they never got to the promised land. I'm going to read this because it's better if I read it. I put in my notes, we will not see his spirit move today if we're only that looking, looking at what he did last week, last year, or 100 years ago. I'm going to read that again, and some people are not going to like that, but I'm going to say it again. We will not see his spirit move today if we're only looking at what he did last week, last year, or 100 years ago. I want to tell you that God has a work for us today. And just because it doesn't look like what he did 10 years ago doesn't mean he's not doing something remarkable today. Just because he's not parting a Red Sea doesn't mean he doesn't desire to set you free from whatever enemy is pursuing you. Just because you're not waking up and finding, finding manna outside on the grass doesn't mean that the nature of God who will take care of you has changed. Just because you're not seeing Jesus walk on the water doesn't mean that God doesn't desire to be right with you. Look forward. Press on. Isaiah chapter 43. I'm going to read verses 16 through 19. This is what the Lord says. Who says it? The one who made a way through a sea. In a path through the mighty waters. This is what he says. We talked last week about don't forget that he made that way. Don't forget that he parted those seas. This is what that God would say to you. He drew out the chariots and horses and the, the army and reinforcements together. And they lay there never to rise again. Extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. He's talking about he set you free from the Egyptians who were pursuing you. He, he caused them all to die. They could not pursue you any longer. They were extinguished in that moment by the seas. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. Verse 19, I love this verse. I love this verse. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. This is a messianic promise to the people of God. You see, they were looking for their deliverer. They were looking for the one who would take care of, of their oppression. But they were looking in all the wrong places. They were looking for the Red Seas to part again and someone to devour their enemies. But, but he says, I'm sending my son, Jesus Christ, who will set you free. I'm sending my son, Jesus Christ, who will make a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I am the living water. But you see, we can become so blinded by our past that we miss what God is doing. They absolutely missed. Most of the Jews missed Jesus Christ because they were so stuck looking at what he had done. They could not forget 
2020 vision. I want to see what God is doing. 2020 vision. I want to recognize where I'm limiting God by what He's done. 2020 vision. I don't ever want to go back to my Egypt. I don't care what it is. Do you not perceive it? God says, I'm doing a new thing. I believe God wants to do a new thing. Joshua told him, God's going to do some amazing things tomorrow. I tell you, as a pastor, I believe God desires to do some amazing things in our tomorrows. But I don't want the curse of Moses. I don't want to lead people to the place that God is taking us and have us so focused on where we were that we miss what God desires. See, he's doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? If you don't perceive it, then find out why. If you're struggling to see it, maybe you've got some blinders. Maybe you've got some struggles. Maybe you're just looking backwards in that small little mirror and it's captivating all of your vision. God says, I I have a new thing for you. Amazing things for you. I believe that's his word for our church. I'm glad Greg wants to receive it. I believe God has something amazing. I believe where God is leading us is remarkable. I believe there will absolutely be good fruit there. I believe that he will meet our every need there. I believe that he will allow us to get there. He will provide for us on the way there. He will never leave us as we're traveling there. You guys can come forward. Here's a verse, and I'll talk about it again next Sunday. Because fortunately, I'm two-thirds of the way through my sermon for next Sunday now. But that verse says, the God of this age has blinded our eyes. I will tell you that absolutely one of the strategies, the techniques of the enemy is to keep your eyes so far in the past that you can't see anywhere in the future. Not only can you not see in the future, but you can't see in the here and now. That's his tactic. That's his strategy. If you recognize that God is trying to keep you so focused on the past that you can't see today and tomorrow, you need to take authority over that. Do something about that. How? He's made a way. He's made a way in the wilderness. He's made a path. He's given you streams In the wasteland, God will absolutely empower you. How does he do it? Sometimes he spits on his hands and and puts it in blind eyes and they see. I don't know what way God wants to do it for you today, but just pray the prayer that says, open my eyes so I can see. If you recognize that you are not seeing, God, open my eyes so I can see what you're doing. 
God, I thank you this morning for your promises. God, I thank you this day for the word of God that is absolutely true. And I thank you for the promise of 2020 vision for each of us. Yes, God, it's important that we recognize what you've done. That we stop and we pause and reflect when you've done some remarkable things. But God, I I pray we recognize that you are not done. We can see what you've done, but recognize that you're not done. And God, for us in this church, I believe, God, that promise that you spoke to Moses. I believe that you're leading us to a place, a good place, a promised place. I believe that you're leading us to a place where you're going to do some pretty amazing things. I believe you're preparing our hearts, God, for for something remarkable. I need a blessing to forget. I need help, God, when it comes to letting go of what was so I can run to what is. So I can press on to take hold of that so I can press through even when there's giants there. God, if our eyes have been blind, I pray you would give us eyes to see. Even in this moment, Father, if people are missing what you've done even today, what you've done this week, what you're doing in their life in this season, God, I pray for eyes that see. You know, as we sing about, uh, uh, I can sing about his love, God. I, I pray that we see that you are a God who absolutely loves us, who are doing things for us. You are doing things for us even now that maybe we missed. Help us to see so we can keep going. Pressing on, letting go, that your will would be accomplished in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to lead us in a chorus. I'm going to be up here as a pastor. And if you are speaking to you to respond, I want to pray with you. It may not be about this message. We haven't had a time of prayer yet this morning. If there's other situations, if there's giants in your life, if there's things that are causing you to be hungry, if you feel like you're in a place of, uh, of slavery or bondage, I want an opportunity to pray with you this day because he absolutely has made the way. The way is Jesus Christ. I want to talk about Jesus Christ and the love of God that's been revealed through him. I want to pray the promises of God and the plans of God. I want to stand with you and encourage you, not discourage you. That we can keep on going. Amen? God's got a plan, amen? God's got a good plan, amen? God desires for you to experience the fulfillment of His plan, amen? The Lord bless you and keep you. May He make, make His face shine upon you, be gracious to you. May He turn His face towards you and grant you His peace. And may you walk knowing what He's done, but also knowing where He's taken knowing the amazing things that he has in store 
for your tomorrows. Amen? Be blessed.